Hello and welcome to Splatter Chatter, where October never dies. I am one of your hosts, Miss Melmore. I'm the other host, Mr. Craigers. Yes, he is. And today we are talking about ah, nuclear apocalyptic horror. Boom! Yes, that's the sound it makes. That's the sound. Um, specifically, we're going to dive into some specific films. Um, some of our, maybe our, our, our favorite. I actually watched as well, in addition to the main film we watched for this, a um, YouTube video that was like a countdown of the 10 best um, nuclear bomb detonation scenes in cinema. So we can talk about some of those. Uh, but the main thing we're going to talk about is the 1984 uh, British sort of docudrama mockumentary film Threads. Yeah. Yeah. It's kind of weird. Kind of weird. It's kind of weird. It's definitely upsetting. Yes. And uh, it's a unique one. Yes. Uh, this, is been, this was precipitated by, um, I finally watched Chernobyl. Uh, and then I did a deep dive, hyperfixated, <laughs> busted through um, Midnight in Chernobyl and learned everything I needed to know about it because I was like, holy fuck, why don't we talk about this more? <laughs> um, which I found out my mom's boyfriend was, he was like, oh yeah, like I was in Europe when Chernobyl happened. I was like, you have to leave the house. What? You need to leave. You're, you're contaminating the area. <laughs> Time for Shelly to move again mm -hmm. because of the radiation. We need a dosimeter in the house. Okay, Greg. Yeah. So, yeah. So, I got that going for me. So, you got that going for you. Um, but, yes. Yeah, so, we, we watched we watched it. I watched Threads for the first time. Mr. Craigers rewatched Threads. Uh, did some poking around at other sort of Cold War-esque apocalyptic films. Uh, just to talk about this very specific... Um, scary subset of upsetting and disturbing subset of horror. Yeah. And, and... <laughs> I had nothing. And, the, and this weird subgenre of post-nuclear horror, right? That is just, is just like, there's a substantial amount of films out there that fit into this category. And they don't often get referenced when it comes to horror subgenres. They don't often get talked about or sometimes even labeled as horror films. But they can be some of the most horrifying things you'll ever watch. So I think that's kind of interesting. Yes. Yeah, and this is like the epitome, I think, of what you think of when you think of apocalyptic post-fallout horror, uh, you know, and... The radiation burns and the, the radiation sickness and people who survive that, the sort of collapse of society and all that sort of thing. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Um, but before we do any of that, <laughs> um, we decided to check our email. <laughs> For the first time in quite some time, yeah. there's no need to figure out, you know, how long? The, the point is, we're checking it now. Everybody just <laughs> calm okay? down. Okay? It's our show. Make your own show if you want to check your email all the time. <laughs> Whoops. But anyway, the point is, we have an email that we have been neglecting from listener Unknowingly. Lindsay, unknowingly. From listener Lindsay, who has written in to us on occasion... So number one, we want to apologize to Lindsay. Hopefully you're still listening. <laughs> yeah. Hopefully you're still out there. I'm so sorry that this slipped through the cracks. If you are still out there, we're going to address your email now. Yes. So Lindsay writes, Hey, Splatter Shatter. I just saw that Netflix is reviving Unsolved Mysteries. How do you feel about it? I am excited. <laughs> What's your favorite unsolved mystery? This might give away how old the email is. Yeah, when people look up when this news was dropped. My favorite unsolved. I've got a. I got one that comes to mind. You have one that comes to mind. I do. Let me ruminate on this while Miss Mel answers first. I am. I am excited that they are reviving unsolved mysteries. Unsolved mysteries was the best. <laughs> um. I would say that my favorite unsolved mystery, the one I kind of always sort of gravitate 
back towards is the dial of pass incident. Oh, that's a good one. Yeah. That's a really yeah, good. Because like we, there's movie. just no, no one can come to a consensus on what happened. There's a lot of weird. I think we've talked about it a little bit. I'm not sure, but to give you the brief yeah. synopsis, a group of uh, hikers in Siberia um, never came back from their hike, and when they went looking for them, they found that their tent had been uh, shredded and cut open from the inside um, and various bodies were found naked. Uh, some of them with severe, severe trauma to them, uh, broken ribs, broken chest plates, broken other things. Um, one person had, had was missing a tongue and a couple of other um, parts of their body and uh, one or two of them were also severely irradiated uh, with lethal doses of radiation, but not all of them. So it's, and there's really no consensus on what happened here. They determined it wasn't an avalanche because there was no avalanche uh, in the time period. They determined it, it wasn't an animal attack. There was, you know, there was no evidence that, uh, no clear evidence that they turned on each other. Um, one person suggested some sort of infrasound caused them to go crazy, but that doesn't account for the radiation found on a couple of their, their bodies and their clothing or the guy who's missing a tongue. So I don't, it's wild. It is wild. There's a, um, have you seen Devil's Pass? I've seen stuff about it. I have not seen it. Yeah. It's a pretty decent movie where they you know, tackle it and kind of pause it. What it, you know, yeah. the situation. Um, huh. I was trying to think, I feel like I had one and then completely forgot when you started talking about DL tough pass incident. Um, Velisca. Velisca. Oh yeah. I am fascinated by, Velisca, and especially by that guy who wrote that book that I haven't read yet, but I know what it's about, and I can't remember the name. Of it, okay. Where he connects the Axemen of New Orleans to uh-huh. Axe Murders of Velisca. That's pretty fascinating. Yeah, I, I can think of there's a lot of like unsolved murder cases that really fascinate me. Um, Jack the Ripper, which in the last couple months they may have solved. Interesting. Oh, I feel like I did see some stuff. Yeah, there was like a DNA link thing that they were like, um, anyway. And, um, also the, uh, the Phantom Killer of Texarkana. Oh, yes. Oh, yeah, who still might be out there. Yeah. I think those unsolved mysteries are, at least what I'm thinking of right now. So. Thank you, Lindsay. Whoops. So sorry. <laughs> Whoops. It's fine. Everyone's fine. Everything is fine-ish. Um, as for quick horror headlines, personal headlines, I finally saw Midsummer. Only nice. took literally a month. Um, <laughs> wild. Uh, had to yeah. go out and get a sandwich afterwards for a nice cool down. Yeah. <laughs> Um, definitely, yeah, it's, it's less oppressive than Hereditary. Um, it's definitely more mainstream at points, or at least more sort of like contemporary horror. Mm-hmm. Um, but still, you know, very gripping, very, very engaging, very much captive audience. Um, happier ending than Hereditary, kind of. Um, yeah, isn't that interesting? Yeah. Um, it's in so many ways, I think, like the antithesis of hereditary. Like it's the yin to her- hereditary's yang. Yeah. Or vice versa. I don't remember which one is light and which one is dark and yin yang. But. But that's what it is. Right. Yeah. Um, like literally, even like the way hereditary is all about playing with dark darkness and night mm-hmm. and of course midsummer as we all know takes place entirely during the day yes yeah so. during during 
super day. Midnight sun, pastel. The camera I felt was like purposefully not quite white balanced to kind of um, almost wash some like the scene on the cliff was like so bright and washed out. Yeah, that was an intense scene. But um, yeah, no, it was. I'm glad I finally saw it. It was. It's interesting because I could. I knew it was long, but like it didn't feel long because the entire thing was like partially a mystery as well. Because you're trying to figure out exactly what's going on, even though you probably know. Um, <clears throat> That's I. I touched on this in my review over on the blog, if you guys want to go check it out. But, like, you know where they're going. Like, you know how it's going to end. It's just, like, the art of how we're going to get there. Yeah. And still maintaining our interest the whole time and the specifics of that path, which is so tricky to pull off, but they did. Yeah. No, it was, it was a fun ride. Um, <clears throat> and, you know, I mean, good for him stepping away from horror for a while, but I hope he continues to keep sort of that same sense of just constant stress in uh, in the future work he, he goes yes. towards. Yes. Um, yeah, that was my big thing. I'm uh, reading Pandemonium, which is pretty oh. fun right now. Enjoying it? Yes. Although I found the most crazy typo in it. Um, there's a character named Lou that's spelled E L E W, but in one of the dialogue tags it's spelled L O U. So like clearly at one point the name was spelled differently and we just didn't catch them all. <clears throat> that was fun. But no, it's it's a, it's a fun read. It's like basically um, sort of like an epidemic of demonic possessions. Um that they're trying to to solve and there's different archetypes that the possessions will take and like the people who are possessed by will do different actions and behave in different ways depending on like what type of possession they have they're not sure if it's some sort of psychosis or if there's something supernatural to it so it's interesting thanks yeah that one is definitely on my list yes yes yes, yes. yeah cool yeah, um, I have been, let's see, I've, I've been watching a lot of horror recently, actually. Um, you know, summer's a great time, of course, for the spooks. Um, and, you know, those couple of days where it was just so bleedingly, blastingly hot that you didn't want to do anything else. Oh it was just perfect to just cool down by watching horror movies so i've seen some good stuff recently um some highlights maybe um i watched a great little gay horror movie called b and b i recommend it was really like really tense it's some like top-notch suspense very hitchcockian um it's about this gay couple who a year before the story begins they um, tried to stay at a and b in the English countryside and they were denied a room together by the like religious innkeep. <laughs> so they sue and they win. And a year later to the day, they come back because the one guy wants to gloat and like rub it in the, the innkeeper's face. Like, mm, you have to let us stay, You this and that. Mm-hmm. And... you know, there's all these interesting factors at play. Like the innkeeper's son approaches the one guy and reveals that he's gay and he he can't live under his religious father's roof anymore. And he's planning to run away. And then this other creepy guy shows up and he doesn't speak any English. And there's this debate, like they say, whose side is he on? You know, because they've made it very public that they're coming back to stay at this B&B. They've, like, mm-hmm. they've put it on Facebook. And the one guy, he's, like, really nervous. And he's like, you don't know who that could attract. Like, gay bashers could, you know, we're out here in the middle of the country. Yeah. So there's these cat and mouse and these questions of whose who's loyalties are where and who's really thinking what. Um, it was tense. It was really good. 
It was really good. So it's kind of like a psychological. <clears throat> it's thriller? very much psychological horror. Okay. Yeah, it gets. <clears throat> well, I don't want to say because I don't okay. want to spoil. Then we will I, all I, go watch and find out and talk about it yeah. next time. <laughs> I believe I watched it on Amazon. Okay. Uh, I don't know if it was on Shutter or just on Amazon, but. Yeah, I think Shutter has a deal with Amazon where anything on Shutter is also on Amazon. Is also obviously on Amazon. not everything on Amazon is also on Shutter. Is also on Shutter. Cool, cool, great selection on Shutter. Yes. Um, I also watched what else that should be mentioned. Um, oh, cool little short film called The Quiet Room. Hmm. About a uh, a man who um commits himself to a psychiatric ward after a failed suicide attempt and starts hearing stories about a supposed um, Bloody Mary type figure that haunts the ward. Interesting. Uh, pretty good. If you just want something real quick, it's like 35 minutes. Um, oh, I watched an interesting, um, was it Swedish, Norwegian maybe? movie called party hard die young um a fun little slasher um that had its cool moments really gorgeous cinematography and then a great little gem great little horror comedy gem that you would love my smell called dead detectives i've heard <laughs> i've seen it you heard about it seen yeah stuff? i've seen it advertised to me on shutter Yes, it's on Shutter. It's about this ghost hunt reality show, ghost mm -hmm. hunting crew, that um, in order to save the show, goes to like the most haunted mansion in Mexico and discovers that all the bullshit that they've been faking is real <laughs> here, at least. And it's, it's really funny, especially if you are the kind of person who loves those ghost hunting reality shows there's lots of good in jokes for that fandom um it was good it was fun <laughs> you know i do love grave encounters so yeah yeah it's like grave encounters but funny <laughs> nice so yeah and um and that's and that's where we're, oh and i saw crawl in theaters Oh, yes, you did. Also, that's another one that, that should be mentioned. Great. After jury duty. <laughs> After jury duty, yeah, because they didn't need me. They didn't need any of us. <laughs> like, the case has been thrown out. <laughs> great, I'm off to the movies. Super fun, great creature feature, really fun ride. They knew exactly what they wanted it to be, and they didn't pull any punches. And nice. a, good, a good summer escape. Nice. So. And that's that for me. Sweet. All right. Well, shall we get into some uh, some post-apocalyptic nuclear yeah. horror? I don't know if there's a, a technical, widely used term for this type of horror. I think it's just kind of a subgenre of apocalyptic horror. Yeah, that's that's kind of what I was like trying to articulate before, like. It's almost not even an official subgenre, or like you said, it's like a sub subgenre. Yeah. You know, there's apocalyptic horror, but and then this is even a bit more niche, like post nuclear. Fall Which fall has fall. been around for longer than you um, might think, actually. For sure, yeah. Um, I think like the the first well the first uh, book to feature nuclear war actually was written before the nuclear bomb was even invented um it was an hg wells book um the world set free where um at the time the nuclear bomb had not been invented yet but hg wells was like friends with like scientists and stuff who like were on the verge of it like they knew like about radioactive decay and they knew this stuff and they were kind of talking about weaponizing it so he didn't pull it out of his ass because that would have been very scary um so he knew that was kind of where science was going so he wrote um this sci-fi novel the world set free about a nuclear war essentially um obviously his nuclear bombs are you know slightly different from the ones that ended up being created um 
But yeah, that was kind of the first time this appeared in uh, in media. And this was like back in the 1930s, I believe. Maybe yeah. even earlier. That's so interesting that it's even like, talk about being at the cusp of mm-hmm. even that idea, that technology that, you know. He was ahead of the curve. For yeah. Sure. Because then the first... Um, Movie in this genre didn't come out until the 50s. Yeah. Which makes way more sense, right? We think about horror films from the 50s. We're super concerned with um, complete human annihilation. Yeah. uh, That stemmed from the advent of the Cold War. Um, And that manifested itself in different ways in the horror films from the 50s. It often wasn't as direct as you know, featuring straight up nuclear warfare. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was definitely one of the prevailing themes. Yes. And uh, as we said, the thing that brought this on was I finally watched Chernobyl, did a deep dive into Chernobyl. Um, I think I mentioned before when I said that I was watching it, that it was interesting the way um, they positioned it very much, at least the first episode as a sci-fi horror um, yeah piece of media and then afterwards it becomes kind of like a post-apocalyptic dystopian horror almost mm-hmm. um but it's historical <laughs> it sure so, is which might make it yeah make there was it an interesting like code switch almost we yeah. could say between how they opened it and then how the show progressed um yeah. but it worked yeah because it was a beautifully done show and terrifying to watch yes very very when they looked into the uh open nuclear reactor ugh. oh that was because you're just like what must this look like no human who has looked at it has survived so you know let's imagine what you know it was funny because my one friend was like what did they see did they see their doubles did they see like cthulhu on the other side <laughs> like yeah the primordial chaos yeah um, and then, you know, they, they lock this thing up like a uh, Lovecraftian monster. It's just sitting there under the, the sarcophagus, as they it's call just it. It's waiting. Um, and it's still incredibly, potentially the most dangerous room in the entire world. Uh, a few minutes in there, you're very sick. An hour, you're dead. Mm-hmm. Um, and this is real science stuff. So you well, can see why it makes good work. It does. So... Most of our listeners probably know, but what what was the HBO show Chernobyl covering? What's the highlights of the historical events for us, Miss Mel? Um, well, at twelve, or I'm sorry, at one twenty three forty five a.m. on April the twenty sixth, I believe. Yeah. Which one two three four five? It's wild. Um, during a not so routine, but was meant to be routine. Um, safety tests, of all things, at the Chernobyl power plant um, in the Ukraine, uh, an explosion happened, um, which was upsetting. You know, nobody likes an explosion at a nuclear power plant. The roof was on fire. They were a little bit concerned. Uh, they, it was believed by the, the management that the hydrogen tanks uh, had ruptured during this kind of kerfluffle. Um, but it quickly becomes apparent that something much worse has exploded. Mm. Um, the nuclear reactor itself has blown its lid, um, causing mass fission products, mass, and it's also in the process of doing that, then blew up the fuel cells because it instantly vaporized like everything around it. Um, there was two explosions in one. Um, and the show does a much better job than we could ever do of explaining exactly why that happened over the course of five episodes, um, that, you know, would very much watch if I, if I were you, but essentially the, something that has never happened in the history of the world, a nuclear reactor explodes. They're not supposed to explode. Uh, they melt down. They get so hot that they melt down. They don't explode. So the lid's blown off. And just pure radiation is in the atmosphere, getting blown everywhere. There are parts of Sweden still that can't, like, eat crops from certain areas because it's still so heavily radiated. And the death toll um, 
the official Soviet death toll is 31 people. Um, the minimum um, put out there by the UN, the minimum was 4,000. The higher end of their official count was 93,000. Um, some people have said it's as many as 1 million and potentially more just because it's hard to track, you know, who, who got cancer from what was this leukemia caused by Chernobyl, right. um, et cetera. So this was, and what we, so this happens, it's terrible. The government's trying to cover it up. Uh, they're also trying to contain it, um, evacuating people, trying to clean up radioactive materials, trying to seal up, trying to put the fire out, trying to seal up the reactor, and we kind of follow the first year after the explosion happened and all the efforts done by the liquidators to cover it up and clean it up. And essentially just previous becomes a ghost town. Chernobyl stayed in um, commission until the 2000s. The other three generators were still working, or the other three cores were still working, and they actually just literally stuck a wall in the as far in as they could they were like okay this is where you stop because on the other side of the wall is the open reactor that they just yeah just literal death like there was actually this poem that was recited on one of the commemorative years called uh satan sleeps in pripyat um where they Hmm. basically are like yeah there's a monster behind that door don't go in there um, but yes, nuclear n- nuclear arms, nuclear energy races, very hot topic after World War II. Um, we saw what in World War II what the nuclear bomb could do. Um, throughout the next couple of decades, they realized how they could harness it for energy. And then in the 70s, Three Mile Island happens, and we start to realize how dangerous it can be in all forms. Chernobyl happens, and nuclear power kind of pretty much shuts shuts down its wheels stop turning people stop building new plants um because the world almost ended is essentially what happened um Mm -hmm. and it's interesting i think that it happened because of a nuclear power plant designed to produce energy during a safety test and not during one of our many doomsday scenarios of um yeah a bomb going off yeah that's a great point yeah. Especially because I think in so many of these post-nuclear fallout, post-apocalyptic horror films, it, they are talking about the triggering of a bomb. Yes. You know, there's very few that uh, involve an accident. Yeah, I think the only one I can think of is uh, China Syndrome. Yeah was dealing with almost the same exact thing as what happened at Chernobyl. Yeah. Um, and it happened before the movie came out before Chernobyl happened. It was one of those deals. One of those strange things. Yes. Um, yeah, yeah. So let's talk about a couple of films that yeah. uh, involve oh. the fear of um, nuclear fallout and what that could do to the world. Uh, specifically, maybe we could start here just because we just finished talking about Chernobyl. Chernobyl was our impetus for this episode. We can talk about Chernobyl Diaries. Ah, oh, yes, yes. That's, which, um... which is the only horror film to specifically involve Chernobyl. Which is interesting because you'd think it would be such a... And I think it goes back to the fact that a lot of people don't know what happened at Chernobyl, really. Um, yeah. They said that that was one of their, uh, is it Craig Mazin, the writer, said that that was his main kind of uh, trigger for wanting to do this. He said, um, you know, like you ask anyone how the Titanic sank and they'd be able to tell you. You ask people, oh, well, what happened at Chernobyl? They're like, I don't know. Like nobody seemed to know offhand what happened. So I think that's part of why there's not a ton of media about it. Absolutely. It's a good point. And it's, it's probably something we should know more about. Yes. Um, it's more relevant to us now than the sinking of the Titanic. Yes. So, I mean, I say that as someone who is fascinated by the history of the Titanic. Yes. And, but it's like, come on, guys. Boat sinks, <laughs> nuclear apocalypse. 
Yikes. But yes, Chernobyl Diaries. Chernobyl um, Diaries. Yeah. Jesse McCartney. Jesse McCartney is in this movie for reasons I still haven't been able to riddle out. Yes. Uh, seven years later. Um, so it's a 2012 film that was produced by Oren Pelly of uh, Paranormal Activity fame. And uh, it centers on a group of, of course, idiot college students. Yes. Or post I don't know. They're young. They're 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 young. Dumb. They're young adults. Yeah, I think there's five or six of them. I can't remember. And they are um, backpacking across Eastern Europe, where in, uh, when they're hanging out in the Ukraine, when they're hanging out in Kiev, and they decide to. Um, on the next leg of their journey, which is to Moscow, to take a bit of a detour and do an extreme tour of Pripyat, which is the town that um, the autumn, the autumn hosted, city, yeah, hosted the Chernobyl plant, the Autumngrad, which is dumb. <laughs> People do this though. This is and a real also thing. So illegal. Yes. Yeah, it's a real thing. People do. They'll go on these sort of. Um, third party back alley tours into Chernobyl past the, cause it's still, you can't go there. The exclusion zone is, is guarded by military. Yeah. Um, but people do do this. People do live in there too. Um, but yes, it's a, it's a found footage. Um, Oh yes. That's probably an important detail. Thank you, Miss Mel. Yes. It's a found footage. <laughs> um, and basically it shows them, they, they realize something, kind of off about the area and they find themselves uh, hunted by the uh, mutants that live in the ruins of previous after uh, the nuclear disaster. And one by one they are picked off by mutant dogs and mutant oh, people yeah. and all this stuff. All this stuff, yeah. yeah. It's a bit of an obvious route to take. To make yeah. a horror film about Chernobyl, right? Yeah. Oh, Chernobyl, radiation, mutants. Yes. Um, but it's not necessarily a bad film by any means. No, I found it to be fun, and I liked seeing, you know, they filmed on location, I think, a little bit. Um, the uh, At least the um, tourist scenes they actually filmed in and around Pripyat. Um, yeah. So it's I cool to see that um i remember seeing that at the time like that was a big talking point that they had actually filmed in the area yeah and you know it's i always like a good uh sort of like urban ruin spelunking film urbanoia yes um and you know i you know the thing the whole chernobyl thing's fascinating now having watched chernobyl on hbo and looking at this i'm like this does nothing this compares not at all to the to the horrors i experienced watching this um especially because one of the stories is one of the firemen who eventually died supposedly he was exposed to so much radiation that the color of his eyes changed oh because of what it did to you know cuz radiation attacks dna it attacks yeah. it rearranges cells and his eyes went from uh, brown to blue. Whoa. Yeah. Won't that's know if that's true because he died, but... Because he died. Yeah. So who's to say? Yes. You! You're to say! You're to say! Um, but yeah, I mean, it's basically kind of one of those zombie chase type films more than more than anything yeah. else. Yeah, it, it definitely falls in that that category, I think. But for me, I think... The most frightening part of Chernobyl Diaries is not being attacked by zombie mutants. It's the idea of this surveillance police state, yes. right? And kind of what we see at the end that happens to the remaining characters. Yeah. Um, Which is a, apparently close to what happened in life. Hey. Hey. And that's, that, I think is more of a unsettling takeaway from Chernobyl Diaries than a mutant dog. Yeah. Or that random scene when they're in, like, the first abandoned building and the bear runs by. The non-mutant bear. It was just a yeah. bear. And you're like, what? And you're like, oh, right, Russia. 
So, but aside from Chernobyl Diaries, of course, there are lots of other horror films that tackle the idea of post-nuclear fallout. As Miss Mail mentioned, um, regarded as one of the best and perhaps the most unsettling um, is the 1984 British TV film Threads. Threads. So Threads is a um, one of the earliest um, docudrama mockumentary film hybrids. Uh, particularly unique in that it aired on uh, the BBC. Yeah. Yeah, let's just slap this on TV for where anyone can find it. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And um, what it was meant to be was a dramatized version of what nuclear war would look like for the rest of us, essentially, right? The, The not power players, the people who don't make the decision. And specifically, the people caught in the crossfire between the U.S. and Russia. Um, yeah, great point, Miss No. It wasn't even the. It wasn't even like you know. All our movies are about what happens in the U.S. during a during a nuclear attack, but it's like no. What happens to everyone else who just got stuck in the middle? Yeah, excellent, excellent. Yeah. So our focal point in Threads is um, the city of Sheffield. Um, the the real city of Sheffield. Yes, <laughs> and, the real one. Yeah, in the UK, in England. Um, which I'm not super familiar on what Sheffield is like as a metropolis now, but in the 80s, it was a very um, working class kind of town. Mm-hmm. Um, there, there wasn't... I mean, there were jobs and they were sustainable, but I don't think it was a super affluent place to live. Yeah. Um, so yeah. So as Miss Mel says, um, Sheffield ends up getting caught in the crossfire between the real life Cold War standoff between the United States and the USSR. And what I think is really one of the really effective things in Threads is that um, the actual attack the the detonation of the bomb doesn't happen until close to an hour into the film. Yeah. And so before that, there's lots of really great buildup. And one of the things they're really good at is showing us um, newspapers coming in and TV and radio reports addressing the tension Mm -hmm. between um, the two power nations and our focal characters, you know, our English Sheffield citizens, kind of acknowledging these reports, but really just going about their lives. Yeah. Um, and it's a, I don't, I just, I love that um, tactic as a way to increase suspense. Yeah, it's just like every other scene in the background. There's a, yeah, talks broke down today between, and then it sorts starts to sort of escalate to the point where the government starts to. Be like, okay, we should prepare for something. You know, people start to raid grocery stores, but by the time mm. it happens, there's just there's no preparation. Yeah, yeah, really, really good. Uh, so, so we begin threads, sort of focusing on um, a set core of of, of characters. There's um, a main storyline involving um, uh, a young couple who find themselves um, unexpectedly pregnant and make the decision to get married and buy a house and do the right, proper thing. Yeah. Uh, Even though um, uh, Jimmy, the young man's parents, suggests, uh, suggests an abortion. Yeah. Well, and I think it's that Jimmy comes from, he comes from kind of a more blue-collar family, whereas Ruth's parents seem to be a little bit more posh. Yeah, yeah, definitely. We definitely get that um, class disparity um, between the two families a little bit. Mm-hmm. Uh, which, of course, is has always been England's great national struggle, right? Yeah. So anyway, but 
but what's also interesting is that kind of when shit goes down, we sort of abandon these characters. Um, there's no real... We Threads is so interesting, I think, because we get to know characters and we don't spend a ton of time with them, but there's really sharp moments that just let the characters get developed. But, but yeah, we don't spend a ton of time with them and most of them die. Mm -hmm. After the attack happens, we're jumping around and just seeing how everybody is affected. Yeah. How society is affected. And it's a, such a strange way to tell a story. Um, and a, a method that probably wouldn't get utilized a lot now, but it works. Yeah, because I feel like the focus is, you know, they make us kid. They're like, oh, she's pregnant. Oh, you know there's about to, you know, within the next month or so about to be this thing. Um, but that's never really a concern we have, I think, at any point after everything happens. Because I'm honestly surprised she has, she has the baby. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but she loses her entire family and all the like trauma. She's like more or less at ground zero. Yeah. Yeah. Somehow she comes out of that, uh, alive. Yeah. No. Um, but yeah, so basically the movies intercut, um, there's a narrator who talks about different things from time to time. And then there's this sort of, um, like title card narration, where they'll say the date, um, they'll say what's happening, they'll say eventually after the attack, they'll say how long after the attack. Um, and it kind of goes through, and this is, I guess, where it kind of becomes documentary-esque, because um, it goes through, like, these are the kind of stages you go through um, when this stuff happens. You know, you've got this, this tension, you've got, okay, an EMP goes off, and then a bomb Salvo goes off. Um, and Sheffield is attacked because it is a center of industry. Um, it's a, a, It's got a military base. So it was specifically targeted um, by, you assume, Russian forces. Um, but this happens. And then, you know, in the initial aftermath, there's this, like, title card that says, like, this many people hurt... Uh, in the immediate explosion, this much property damage, and then it says something like, um, rescue crews can't be reached, uh, fire department not likely to respond, and it's just, like, instantly, like, society is gone, um, yeah. from this explosion. And it's a, they do a very kind of, I feel like, nightmarish, correct, I mean, obviously I've never lived through a nuclear explosion, but the sort of nightmarish, accurate nuclear explosion um, you imagine with the blinding light and huge mushroom cloud and the sort of just blasts of of energy. Um, and it's upsetting. I mean, you see there's one character who basically half her face is burned off uh, from the explosion. There's people who just like sort of catch fire instantly from the heat. And um, this is where we lose Jimmy also. Yeah. Just don't see Jimmy again. <laughs> yeah. We see him trying to get back to Ruth, and then that's it, man. That's it for Jim. Um, right. And it's and that's the case with, you know, most of the characters that we meet, like, they die in very unceremonious fashion. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Ruth's family has a... Um, sort of fallout area in the basement that they go to. Um, and eventually she leaves cause she just, she wants, I think she says she wants to try and find Jimmy. Yeah. Um, so she leaves. She knows he's alive. Yeah. She, she senses he's alive. Um, they all end up dying down there from starvation, um, before looters come and kind of pick at their house. Um, Jimmy's family, his brother's killed in the blast. Um, his mother and father, I think, both eventually succumb to radiation sickness. Um, yeah. Is what they're... Because they didn't have... They were in their house when it happened. They weren't in the, the shelter, so they kind of... The only thing they had blocking them was a mattress that they kind of propped up against the door. Um, so they both die. 
and uh, Ruth heads out into the into the wilderness. Um, another sort of interesting little plot thread we follow is um, the emergency services people in the basement. Yeah. Um, there's a sort of preparation that happens where they pull like city council members and like Leslie Nope types and put them in a fallout shelter <coughs> in the city to basically run the city during a disaster. But what happens instantly is they're trapped down there um, by the explosion. They can't get out. They can't really talk to anyone and they all eventually suffocate uh, and starve to death by the time people get down there to rescue them. So things, things fall apart. <laughs> Pretty quick. Very much so. Very much so. Yeah. Um, another interesting thing about threads is that it lets us uh, see the long-term effects of a nuclear winter. Mm-hmm. You know, because we get to see Sheffield kind of start to stabilize. You know, the military occupation goes into effect. Um, dictatorial, uh, martial law, that kind of thing. Um we see and learn that um, most of the um, UK's population has died from radiation sickness um, within a decade. Those that are left, um, most people have cancer or some other kinds of internal disease eating away at them. Um, Most of the crops, uh, either can't be eaten or um, fail to to come to fruition term um, because of the ash clouds, uh, so the sunlight can't get through. Um, it's this is the first time I actually understood what nuclear winter was because you hear about it a lot, um, but this was because they explain essentially what causes it very quickly. They're like, there's a cloud of debris and ash that is blocking out sunlight, temperatures drop, and like that is nuclear winter. And I'm like, oh yeah, that makes sense, of course. It just wasn't something that occurred to me as an actual um, concept until watching this. Right, yeah, yeah. And one of the things about threads is that at the time, and even still now, it praised for its accuracy of of depicting a nuclear holocaust. Mm Mm-hmm. Like, you know, it's like, oh, yeah, this is this is what it would look like. This is what would happen. Um, which, of course, makes it terribly unsettling. Yeah. Um, but yet such a fascinating. Yeah. Well, and I remember watching it. I, I texted my one friend that. um Watching something like this, and, and, you know, this is true of any disaster, but specifically looking at sort of the instantaneous effects of nuclear holocaust, um, is that we start to go down, you know, because you've got Maslow's hierarchy of needs and kind of what we do as a society to kind of fulfill ourselves, and, you know, we're way up here doing social things, doing, you know, higher intelligence things because we have that luxury. This Something like this happens and you go down, back down to the bottom, to the basics, you know, like cavemen, like food, water, shelter. Um, yeah. And it's interesting how that happens like instantly. The bomb goes off and then that just becomes a reality. Is um, All you care about is survival. Yeah. Uh, and you're kind of like, well, for what purpose? Like the world is terrible now. Right. What are you, what are you living for? Can mm-hmm. you even get things back to where it was? Mm-hmm. Not so sure about that. Yeah. But yeah. Yeah, Threads was always one of those ones, like, uh, back in the days of, like, the IMDb message boards and mm-hmm. and what have you, when people would, like, post threads about... Uh, <laughs> post threads. Yeah. Um, what's, like, the most disturbing movie you would ever... Have you ever seen? Um, I would always see a lot of responses where people would be like, threads hands down hands Mm -hmm. down and i i didn't get around to watching it until college like but um i was always like that's so interesting that this this keeps coming up um because it 
terrified an entire generation, essentially. Mm-hmm. Like so many people from the '80s saw this. This was like this was a huge television event at the time because after it was so successful in the UK, it was broadcast in the US um, <laughs> to equal terror. Um, to say, please don't. Yeah, and still, even now, I think like if you. Um, find your way to the remaining message boards or find your way to Reddit, you'll see um, people that grew up in the 80s, you know, in that generation talking about still having scars from watching this movie or not being able to watch it again. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I was, I was, you know, saying to Miss Mel, I had trouble watching it a second time um, just because it is so upsetting and so disturbing and, we're not even, I mean, we're not living in a state of nuclear fear the way people were living in that state. Yeah. Um, my high school was built in the 60s and had a fallout shelter uh, built into it. The entrance mm-hmm. to it was behind, uh, was backstage in the auditorium and it went down and literally looked like an entrance to hell. Um, and then it went all the way into the football field. What do you know? I knew where I was going, you know, if I needed to go somewhere. Right, yeah, for real. Um, so yeah, so we could probably do a whole episode on threads. Um, because there's a lot to pick apart with it. But, there are other nuclear fallout horror films to talk about. There are. So... What else should we mention, Miss Mel? What about people's time? Um, This isn't technically nuclear fallout in the same sense that Threads is, but it uses it as kind of a looming shadow, and it showed up on the list of best um, atomic explosions at number two, Um, and that was Terminator 2, Judgment Day. Oh, interesting. Yeah. (laughs) Um, Not about really nuclear explosion at all. It's more about trying to prevent... Um, nuclear Armageddon. Um, but there is a scene in term in the movie where Sarah Connor kind of has this nightmare um, of um, Judgment Day happening yes. and the atomic bombs being dropped. And it's just this horrific, crazy scene that I saw definitely way too young. Like, I didn't understand how nuclear bombs worked or why any of this was happening, but... She watches these kids playing at a park in L.A. and then a bomb goes off in the distance and then the blast happens and they all just start melting and are catch on fire and there's a blast of energy and she's just screaming against the fence as she's catching on fire. And it's very harrowing and upsetting um, and dramatic. But, you know, it again reflects that fear people had in the 80s, basically any time since the 60s of you know, are we going to blow ourselves up this way? Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, not specifically nuclear fallout horror, but that scene, um, definitely in the in the realm of that. And I mean, the rest of Terminator yeah. deals with, you know, Skynet took control and dropped nuclear bombs on humanity, and then that's how Skynet came to power. Mm-hmm. But, Absolutely. yeah. What do you have? Um, well, there's a, um, what kind of gets talked about as, uh, sort of like the sister film for Threads, um, like the American equivalent, which is, uh, a movie called The Day After. Ah, yes, I know this. Um, which was a, an American television film that aired the year before Threads, so 1983, um, to to great acclaim and um, quite a lot of discussion upon its uh, initial broadcast. And that involves um, a similar situation, a nuclear uh, firearms standoff and then uh, exchange between uh, the U.S. and the USSR and um, how it affects uh, small-town America, basically, middle America, um, I think it, I think I'm pretty sure it takes place in Kansas. Um, that also has a very harrowing, uh, nuclear 
bomb scene. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, you know, it, it was pretty, pretty rough stuff um, at the time. And even now, it's definitely worth watching, even now. Um, solid cast. John Lithgow is in it. Uh, Steve Gutenberg, big in the 80s, you know. Um, so definitely worth checking out. It's, it's, um, it's not, I mean, it's nihilistic for mm-hmm. sure, but, and I've only seen it once and it was, and it was a while ago, like around when I watched Threads for the first time, but Threads has stuck with me more than the day after has. Yeah. So for what, for what that's worth. But definitely still worth watching, for sure. Um, uh, oh, sorry. No, I'm just thinking there's a lot more speculative nuclear horror than stuff realistic like Threads, like the day after. Like, you get Mad Max in the Mad Max series. Like, yeah. you know, here's our crazy nuclear wasteland. You have the Matrix where, um, you know, they're living in a nuclear winter and then that's how the machines took over and basically plugged everyone into the Matrix because they, they caused a nuclear winter. Um to basically disrupt their power source and stuff. Um, yeah, like, we get a lot of, like, the world kind of well after a, nu- you know, nuclear fallout. Yeah. You know? Like, 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 the road. Yeah, yeah, there you go, yeah. That's, that's a big one. Yeah. Um... There's a short film from the 60s that actually was going to be shown on the BBC, but then they banned it and they didn't end up showing it until like 20 years later after Threads had aired. It's called The War Game. Oh, I do. Yes. I heard about this as well. Yeah. And that's, if I'm remembering correctly, like straight up documentary. Um, but worth watching. There's a really um, uh, well-regarded animated film um, called When the Wind Blows. That one's also very upsetting. Yeah. Very, very uncomfortable to sit through. Yeah. Um, I had actually never seen it until Miss Mill suggested it as um, a talking point for this episode. And I was like, great excuse. I was like vaguely aware that it existed. And, um, very quickly into that movie, I was like, no, thanks. Yeah. How they kind of slowly start to get sick and yeah, it's hard to watch. Yeah. And they're like insisting on just living their life as, as it was. And then they can't. can't. You just can't. David Uh, Bowie did that sad song. Oh, that song is so sad. It's a very, like, grinding, miserable movie. Yes. <laughs> um, but again, if Nuclear Holocaust is your... If you can't quite look away, definitely check that out. Yeah. It's similar to Threads in that it deals with what's it look like in a rural area Yeah. when this happens, and these are kind of the people who get you're going to get, get gone first um, because mm-hmm. there's just nobody there and it's rough. Yeah, it's a lot. Um, just want to make sure we don't forget anything. Yeah, I mean, there's there's some stuff out there, you know? There's some yeah, this this sub genre sub sub genre is um, surprisingly stacked. It is, and you know it's because the whole thing is just so disturbing and existentially dreadful. I mean, you know, it's interesting because I feel like you know if you want to look at this super nihilistically and just super in in the grand scheme of human evolution, um, this is like a thing where I feel like. This is nature's way of saying, put that back where you found it. Um, yeah. When we figured out how to basically take energy from splitting atoms and, and breaking neutrons off atoms. Um, 
you know, and we almost many times and still could get very punished for it. Um, because radioactivity is incredibly dangerous. Um, you know, and it's funny. It's like, why does this thing exist the way it's like, this is nature's kill switch. This was like the universe's kill switch. If it had to, it was like nuclear energy. Um, you know, and it just, it stays. The one thing that was really freaky that I learned is that there are, they're not anymore, but millions of years ago, there were natural nuclear reactors in the earth because the conditions were just right um, to create a natural nuclear reactor in caves and, and that sort of thing. So there would be fissioning atoms um, in the ground that would, you know, produce energy. They would be radioactive. They're not anymore because it's been millions of years. Um, but that's always freaky to think, you know, under the right conditions, you can naturally have a nuclear reactor in the earth. Yeah. That's super creepy. Yeah. Think about. Uh, we don't have them anymore, but you know, you could. <laughs> yeah. We've just taken it upon ourselves. Yeah. To, to create our own and. Yeah. And then Russia ruined it for everyone. <laughs> Gosh. It still could. Yes. Or we could. Yeah. You know. Anyway, honestly, anyone with a... It's any, when the wind blows. It's when the, it's when the wind blows. Um, and, you know, I did like, a, after Threads, I did like a dive into like nuclear arms and just kind of studying that and these things that they didn't create because they were like, no, this is too bad to create. This is too much like uh, salted bombs where they put purposeful materials like gold into... Um, they never did this, but it was theoretical. They would put them into nuclear bombs, so when they exploded, they would be even more radioactive, and it would basically salt the Earth uh, and, and make it uninhabitable for generations because there would just be so much radioactive material everywhere. So, Jesus, there's scary shit out there, kids. There's scary shit out there, and it's scary that this is the the path and the kill switch and the weapons that those who make these decisions have decided everyone's fate will hinge on. And Yeah. Essentially mutually assured destruction is what keeps Absolutely. us safe. Uh, There's a, uh, um, in one of the analyses of threads that is out there, someone brings up a, a relatively famous Hemingway quote. Um, that I think is very apt. Um, in modern war, there is nothing sweet nor fitting in your dying. You will die like a dog for no good reason. And I think that is the core of the fear behind yeah. nuclear and post-nuclear fallout. Yeah. And I think that one protester in Threads made, you know, it was a very obvious statement, but she made a very good point. You can't win a nuclear war. Yeah. There's just nuclear war, and then there's nothing. Yeah. And then... <laughs> and she got food <laughs> And then everyone shouts at her. Yeah. <laughs> but she has a point. Um, she has a great point. First bomb goes off, and then that, that'll be it. It's over. Everybody loses. So don't do it. Don't do it. Don't do it. But you know what you should do? Hmm. You should get in touch with us. Yeah. Now we're going to check things. <laughs> we're going to be so much better at checking our email. Miss mm -hmm. Mel, what is that email? That email is splatterchatter669, shout out to Lindsay for paying attention, at gmail.com where you can email us and we will... Read it and respond. Uh, you can tweet us at splatterchatter666 minus all the vowels. Um, or if it's just too difficult, just type it in. We are much more responsive on there. We've been talking to some of you recently, actually. So maybe hit that up if you've got pressing uh, 240 character questions. You can find us on Instagram at splatterchatter666. You can find us on Tumblr at splatterchatter.tumblr.com. And you can find Mr. Craig's blog at splatterchatter666.blogspot.com. And he can tell you how you can become even more involved with us. If you want to become even more involved, go to patreon.com slash splatterchatter666. There's a wealth of information about the show. Me, Miss Mel, 
what we're doing, what we want to be doing, and how you can support us in that mission. If you do choose to become a patron, we have all kinds of rewards available for you depending at um, which level you're donating to us at, so be sure to check that out. If you want to show your love for the show, but maybe not financially, you can also show your love with ratings and reviews on Apple Podcasts, on Stitcher, and on SoundCloud. As of now, those are the three platforms on which you can listen to our show. Um, as Ms. Smell said, yes, of course, keep an eye on the blog. Um, right now, I've got some new reviews up there for Midsommar and Crawl. And very soon, as we move into the spookiest time of the year, it will be time once again for the 31 by 31 challenge, in mm -hmm. which I review 31 horror movies in the months of September and October before October 31st. Mm -hmm. I'm already deciding which films I will be reviewing, and I'm pretty excited. Don't worry. They're already selling candy corn. Hell yeah, they are. Yes. Yeah. All right. Now, this is going to wrap up our discussion on the um, nuclear fallout, post-apocalyptic nuclear horror sub-genre sub episode. And when we next are chattering in your ears, it's going to be... Um, the third anniversary of Splatterchat, which is pretty crazy. Now, in classic Splatter Chatter fashion, we haven't decided what we're going to do for that episode. <laughs> um, and there's every chance it could just be a regular episode. Because um, it's our show. Get your own Get show. Get your own it's show. Special shit. Um, but the point is that we'll be back Uh soon for that and until we are back for that next episode we want to remind you guys to always keep up the creep and for now we're gonna say au revoir adios <laughs> <laughs>